Hi, I'm David Taub, and welcome to the Parsha Rabbit Hole, where I find something weird in the weekly Torah portion and follow it all the way down until it gets even weirder. This week's rabbit hole starts with the laws of property damage and eventually gets us to the nature of hierarchical classification and non-traditional family structures. But, as always, we have to get there. This week's Torah portion, Parshas Mishpatim, is exciting to me because all of a sudden we just get tons of mitzvahs. Up until now we've had a lot of stories, and there have been a few mitzvahs here and there. Based on the count in Sefer HaChinuch, there have been 41 mitzvahs in the entire Torah up until now. But then in this week's Parsha alone, we get a whopping 53 mitzvahs. Many of the laws in Parshas Mishpatim are civil laws, telling us how Jewish courts should deal with various situations where one person or their property harms another person or their property. But there is one thing I do know. When a man, like my client, slips and falls on a sidewalk in front of a public library, then he is entitled to no less than $2 million in compensatory damages. And one of the tractates of the Talmud that deals with some of these laws is Bavakama. The first Mishnah in Bavakama takes specific cases mentioned in verses in the Torah and uses them to create general categories through which we can figure out what to do in other cases. This is what it says in the Mishnah. There are four avais of damages. Avais literally means fathers, but here it means primary categories. So there are four primary categories of damage. Then the Mishnah tells us what those four primary categories are. And they are the ox, the pit, the mave, which is a mystery word that the Gemara has to figure out, but spoiler alert, it's another ox thing. And then the last one is fire. Fire! 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 Each of these are examples pulled directly from the verses in this week's Torah portion, Parshas Mishpatim, and they each have their own unique characteristics and different laws that apply to them. But I'm not going to explain any of those specific things right now, because that's not what this rabbit hole is about. This rabbit hole isn't about the categories themselves, it's about categories in general, the concept of categories. And specifically, the word that's used for categories in this Mishnah, which is avais, or fathers. So, if you're ready to follow me on a journey through the taxonomy of taxonomy and the classification of categorization, let's dive in. Okay, so after the Mishnah tells us that there are Arba Avis Nezikin, four fathers of damages, the Gemara then jumps in and starts trying to sort things out. Here's what it says. The fact that the Mishnah uses the word Avis, fathers, implies that there are Toldois, children. Okay, that seems rational and obvious enough, but I see it as saying something a little bit more complicated. The way I see it is that the Gemara is establishing that the word avais, fathers, implies a hierarchical structure. If you're familiar with computery stuff, you might have heard the terms parent and child used in coding to describe relationships between different pieces of information. So, the fact that the Mishnah calls these four things fathers means that there are other things, the children, that are somehow connected to each one of these four categories, respectively. Okay, so once we have that established, the Gemara continues with a question. Are the children similar to their respective fathers, or not similar to them? which to me is trying to figure out what type of hierarchical structure we're dealing with here. 
Do the child elements inherit attributes from their parent element? Or are the parent elements just clues that point us to the child elements, but then after that the children have their own rules and regulations? The Gemara then gives examples for each of these different types of situations. One where the children inherit the same laws as the parent category, and one where the children have different laws than the parent category. One, two, three, four, five new Hey, look, at that one's got a cute little stripe on its head. But one thing that's always confused me a little bit is that the example that the Gemara gives for the children not being like the parent, not inheriting attributes, is tuma, ritual impurity. There are always hatumais, fathers of ritual impurity, which are like the patient zero for impurity. It's like where it starts and then it can transmit that impurity to other things, which are the toldos, or the children. And then those toldos, those children, can transmit that impurity to another generation of things. But the children transmit in a more limited way than the original thing, the parent. So for Tuma, ritual impurity, the children are not like the parent. And then we're trying to figure out if by obvious Nizikin, the children are like that. But to me, the whole Tuma situation doesn't sound like a hierarchical structure at all. It sounds more like a mechanical generation loss kind of thing, like copying VHS tapes. If you don't know what VHS tapes are, it's the thing that came right before laser discs. But in the case of deriving types of damages from other types of damages, I don't see how that type of parent-child relationship is applicable. Like when a court uses precedent set in a previous case to make a ruling, they don't say, well, obviously it's not going to be as strict here because this is a second generation case. So I don't understand how the Gemara uses Tuma, ritual impurity, as a possibility for a model for our Avis Nezikin. If anybody has any ideas about that, let me know in the comments. But there's another question we could ask about these four parents, these four Avis, which is why are they the parents and other cases are the children of one of those four parent categories? What makes them the parents? What makes them so special? Rashi answers this simply, and you might already have thought of this yourself. He says that these four things are called the fathers, the principal categories, because they're the ones mentioned in the verses of the Torah. So that makes sense. These are the ones that the Torah tells us about, and the other cases are extrapolated from them. But Bartanura has a different way of explaining it. He says that they're called Aves, fathers, because each one of them has toldos, children. Which, okay, that seems logical, but to me, it also seems kind of like a circular logic. The Gemara said that the way that we even know that there are children in the first place is because the things in the Mishnah are called Aves, fathers. But then Bartanura says that the reason why they're called fathers is because they have children. So it kind of goes around in circles. So I don't have an answer to that question. And frankly, I don't really need one. I like it just the way it is. I like it when things are a little bit strange and confusing. It's fun. But, of course, if you have any insights, please share them in the comments. Okay, so as I was falling down this rabbit hole, a question occurred to me that I had never thought of before about this Mishnah and Gemara. There are fathers, and the Gemara tells us that this must mean that there are children. But what about the mothers? If there are fathers and children, why don't we say that there must be mothers? And a brother bird, and a sister bird, and a father bird, and a mother bird. Now, you could say because the model only requires one parent. Then the question becomes, why pick fathers instead of mothers? I searched and searched and searched for an answer to this question, but I couldn't find anything. But then I was pointed to a source that does discuss this by a very smart friend of mine who either knows everything or is just able to find anything. The problem was I was looking in the wrong place. I was looking for things about the Avis Nezikin, the fathers of damages that would mention why there aren't mothers. 
But that's not the context in which this gets discussed. Where it does get discussed is with regard to a concept that does use the term mother. There's a concept in rabbinic exegesis called yesh aim lemikra, which literally means there is a mother to the reading. And there's an opposing concept called yesh aim lemesedus, there is a mother to the tradition. So what does that all mean? Basically, we have a maseira, a tradition, for how the text of a Torah scroll is written. And that's why, for the most part, every single Torah scroll in the world looks pretty much the same as every other Torah scroll in the world. But we also have a tradition handed down from generation to generation for how to read certain words a little bit differently than how they're written in the Torah scroll. So fine, no big deal. As long as the person reading from the Torah knows those places, then we're good. But where it becomes a point of contention is in rabbinic exegesis. When the rabbis of the Talmud were expounding on verses based on the various rules for how to interpret them, do they use the words the way they're written or the way that it's read? So yesh aim lemesedus, there's a mother to the tradition, means that the tradition of how we write the words in a Sefer Torah is the mother and the primary version from which we interpret and not the way that we read it out loud. And yesh aim lemikra, there's a mother to the reading, means that we interpret the words according to how they're read out loud. So, we see that Torah does use mother as a model in this case, which makes our question about the fathers of damages even stronger. Mother, please! And that's the context in which the riff deals with this idea. But before we jump into the riff, I need to explain one more thing. The example that the riff uses for when the word father is used isn't our Ovis Nizikin. Instead, he mentions a concept called binyan of, which literally means building father, and less literally means a concept built upon a father. It's one of the rules of rabbinic exegesis where they take details that are said explicitly in the Torah about one thing and then connect it to other things and apply the details from the first thing to those other things. Okay, so now let's jump into the riff. He asks the question, why did the sages say yesh aim lemikra, there's a mother of the reading, and not father? And why did they say binyan of and not binyan aim? And why did they say basko and not benko? The phrase basko literally means daughter of a voice, but it's an idiom that's used for a heavenly voice that comes out of nowhere. So the riff adds that to the list of questions about gendered idioms in rabbinic literature. Why is it called a basko and not a benko? Then the riff answers all of these questions by saying, there's no answer to these questions. He hasn't seen any sources that answer this, but then he does answer it himself. He says, a possible explanation is that when one thing is made the ikr, the primary thing from which we learn other things, then it's called a father. Basically, when it's a hierarchical model where children elements are inheriting from a parent element, we use the term father. But he continues, that doesn't apply to yesh aim lemikra. The terms aim lemikra and aim lemesiris are just telling us which one, the mikra or the mesiris, the reading or the tradition of writing, is the one that we rely on. And since the word kriya, which means reading, is a feminine word in Hebrew, we use the word mother instead of father. In other words, aim lemikra and aim lemesiris is a different model. It's using the concept of parenthood differently than the father model. And in that case, it could go either way. So we default to the one that makes more sense grammatically. Okay, so that's pretty cool. We got somewhat of an answer to our question, even though the Rift said that there wasn't an answer. He gave one to us anyways, which is pretty nice. And even though the Rift doesn't explicitly mention our obvious Nuzikin, I think the logic still applies. In hierarchical models where the children inherit attributes from the parent, the term we use is father. But that still doesn't explain why we use the term father instead of mother in those types of parent-child models. It just explains why the two types of models are different from each other. 
Also, I had another question. I still wanted to see the mother model get more of an explanation than just because grammar. But fortunately, once my friend sent me that truva from the riff, I realized I should be searching for Aim Lamitra and Aim Lamisitis. So then I found a bunch of other places that deal with the same question and answer it in different ways. Bas Ayin, which is a Hasidic work from the 1800s, mentions Yesh Aim Lamitra briefly in a couple different places as a way to support a larger idea. I'm not going to explain the whole thing here, even though it is very cool, but he's talking about how important the concept of tshuva, repentance, is. This is what he says. Repentance is referred to in the Zohar as mother, because it existed before the world. Then he gives a different reason for why repentance would be called mother, and he says, also, mother means ikr, the main thing. How do we know that? Because of the phrase yesh aim lemikra. So, according to Bas Ayan, and incidentally not Ben Ayan, the way that aim, mother, is being used in aim lemikra and aim lemisiris is not to build and extrapolate, but as a term of importance. Which one is the main thing that we interpret from? And that's mother. So, according to the Rift, the word father is used in a hierarchical model, and then several hundred years later, Bas Ayan tells us that the word mother is used as a term of priority and importance. But we still don't have an explanation for why different gendered parents are used in those different contexts. The mamas and the papas. So I dug around a little bit more, and eventually I found an interesting explanation from Tzodek HaKoyin of Lublin. He also only mentions our topic briefly as a support for a larger idea that is also very cool and that I also won't get into here. He explains an important difference between mothers and fathers that he gets from a few different places in Gemara. In one of those places, the Gemara is explaining a seemingly redundant verse in Megillus Esther that tells us that Queen Esther was an orphan. The Gemara points out that the verse says she didn't have a mother and father. But then why does the verse continue and say when her parents died, Mordechai took care of her? It could have just said she didn't have a mother and father, so Mordechai took care of her. Why did they have to mention her parents dying twice? The Gemara answers that this is telling us that she never had a mother or father. As soon as her mother became pregnant, her father passed away, and as soon as she was born, her mother passed away. Which is very sad, and I will definitely be thinking about that next Purim, while some guy in a comically large sombrero wonders why I'm crying. But there's something else interesting here. Why couldn't the Gemara have said that both of Esther's parents died on the same day, on the day that she was born? So Rashi answers this question and says that a father can be called a father as soon as the mother is pregnant, but a mother isn't a mother until the child is born. So in order for Esther to never have had a mother, then her mother had to have died the day that she was born. But in order to have never have had a father, her father had to have died as soon as her mother became pregnant with her. So back to Tzaddik of Lublin. He brings up the concept of Binyan of that we talked about earlier which is that rule of rabbinic exegesis where you take details that are said in the Torah about one case and apply them to a different case. So he says that opinion of is where attributes are learned from the father and then applied somewhere else, somewhere totally separate from the original thing. So it's called a father because it can generate a child in a way that's removed and not outwardly apparent. But aim lamikra and aim lamisiris happens on the spot. You're not applying ideas from one place to another, it's just a thing that's true about how to interpret a verse. Okay, so this is how I boiled that down for myself. Basically, it's possible for there to be a father who doesn't know he's a father, but it's much harder for there to be a mother who doesn't know she's a mother. So when we're applying a concept from one place to another, so it's removed, we call it a father. But a rule that directly applies to something is a mother. 
Okay, so now we've got a few nice explanations for why the Nazikin families each have a father and children and no mother. But that doesn't necessarily mean that every Nazikin family is a single dad with a bunch of kids. If we hop back over to the first Mishnah in Bavakama, after it tells us about the four Ovis Nazikin, the primary categories of damage, it says this. The common denominator of all of these Ovis is that it's common for them to cause damage, and that it's your responsibility to guard them from causing damage, and when they do cause damage, you have to pay to make up for the damage. So, each of these four categories has their own characteristics, and based on those unique characteristics, they get their own laws. Why do we need to know what the commonalities between them are? The Gemara discusses this, and as always, it's complicated, but the Namuke Yosef summarizes it nicely. He says that according to the Gemara, anything that fits those general common criteria for a type of damage that you would be obligated to pay for, even if it's not similar enough to any one of the four Aves Nizikin, we can still use the Tzad HaShava, the common denominator, to learn a specific case from two or three or more of the Aves. Which means that even though the Nizikin families don't have moms, some of them could have two or three or more dads. This is my dad, and this is my dad. How'd I get two dads? They inherited me. Congratulations! Now, you might think that the max for that would be four dads, right? Because that's what the Mishnah says. There are Ba Avis Nizikin, there are four fathers for damages, right? But, a little later on, the Gemara tells us that according to Rebbe Chia, there are actually 24 Avis Nizikin, 24 fathers for damages. Which means that some Nizikin families could have up to 24 dads, which I think is pretty cool. Okay, so we're almost done, but the rabbit hole has one more twist to take us on. We've been talking a lot about Avis, fathers, and one of the most famous places in Torah that the word Avis is used is Pirkei Avis. Pirkei Avis is a tractate of the Mishnah that's different from other tractates of the Mishnah because instead of teaching laws, it teaches life advice. The title Perke Aves literally translates as Chapters of the Fathers, but that doesn't really explain what it is. So most people translate it as the Ethics of the Fathers, which is a little more helpful because it tells us that this is about how to be a good person and ethical stuff, but the Fathers part is still weird. All of the teachings are from rabbis, the rabbis of the Mishnah, so it could be called the ethics of the rabbis, but then it really wouldn't be a translation of the title at all, because Pirkei means chapters, Aves means fathers, and if you translate it as the teachings of the rabbis, then nothing's left. Now, I have a translation of the name Pirkei Aves that I think makes a lot of sense. I thought of it a couple of years ago, and I've tried to find a source that says it, but I can't, which makes me very nervous because it's very obvious to me, but nobody else says it, which probably means that there's a very obvious reason why it's very wrong. There are a bunch of commentaries that explain the Aves part of Perke Aves in various different ways, but none of them give my answer. Some explain that Torah views teachers like parents in some ways. Others say that calling the rabbis fathers rather than rabbis or teachers underscores the idea that this is a part of the tradition handed down from generation to generation and not just wise sayings. But here's my answer. My answer is that the Aves in Pirkei Aves is used the same way as Aves in Aves Nizikin. Principles. Chapters of Principles. This is a book of rules to live by. Which makes a lot of sense to me, but like I said, I'm probably wrong. So please fire away in the comments and tell me why. Alright, that's it. That's the rabbit hole. As always, if you have any questions about any of this, or if you know any cool stuff that I didn't find myself, please share it all in the comments.
Thank you for following me down the rabbit hole. Unless, of course, you didn't follow me down the rabbit hole and you just fell down the rabbit hole that I dug and left open in a public place. In which case, I didn't have anything to do with that and I'm going to run away now.